Amen, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Welcome everyone to the Vineyard. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. It is good to be with you all this morning. And before I jump into the sermon, I did want to highlight one quick announcement. I shared this last week. Coming up on Friday, May 10th and Saturday, May 11th, we are having our Vineyard Spring Conference so this is pretty exciting, and this is something you guys want to, to put in your calendar now. And so we've in, invited uh, a wonderful speaker, Joel Seymour, to come from the Lancaster Vineyard. He's been a vineyard pastor for over 20 years, and he's going to be teaching us on how we might better hear the voice of God, both in our, our personal devotional time as we're reading the Word, as we're praying, and how we might better hear God's voice as we're praying for other people. And so whether you've been around the church for five weeks or whether you've been around you know, the church for five decades, my guess is if you are a follower of Jesus or, or have any desire in your heart to follow God, that there is a desire within you to, to better hear God's voice. That none of us would say we've nailed it. That none of us would say, I've got this whole prophetic thing down, right? And so I would really encourage you, Friday, May 10th, Saturday, May 11th, to come out to that. And did I mention that it's free? It is free. It is free. And so really, you have no excuse not to come unless you're out of town for Mother's Day or something like that. And then, grace to you. So bring out your mom, Mother's Day weekend, the 10th and the 11th. And uh, I'm just really excited. You know, there's just so much of an excitement and a build-up to a conference like this that often God moves in powerful ways. And so I'm going to stop talking about it now. All right. Well, why don't I pray and then we'll, uh, we'll open up to, to today's scripture. So why don't you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit. God, we want and we ask for you to meet us today. Would you meet us today, Father? You know where we're at. You know what our, our last seven days have looked like. For some of us, they've been a really good seven days. Others of us are just trying to make it through, just trying to keep our head above water. Would you meet us today? <clears throat> would you come and would you draw close? Would you encourage? Would you give life? Would you give direction? Would you give hope? And I pray, Father, that your, your power would come upon my words, God. You know my inadequacy is great. Please fill me now with your Holy Spirit that I might preach your word in a way that connects with other people and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Luke chapter 8 today. There we go. Verses 22 through 25. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there. Luke chapter 8. 22 through 25, this is what we read. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake. I love that word, a squall. So that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now here's, here's my first observation of today's text. Today's passage, we, we see the sudden nature of storms. 
The sudden nature of storms. Let's look at verse 22 again. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. Now, when Jesus suggested that they should go over to the the other side of the lake, it's interesting that there were no objections from the disciples. That they didn't say, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you know, look at the clouds. Look at, look, at the, look at the water here. It's looking a little choppy. Maybe we, should, maybe we should think about this. Maybe we should wait a few hours, see if this, see if this gets worse. And, and the fact that there were no objections, this suggests that, that when they set out, the lake was quite calm. Because let's not forget, a few of these disciples, they were fishermen by trade. They, they had spent a good amount of time out on the water. They understood the sea. They understood sailing. And they understood what, what, what pretty terrible conditions would look like. And, and so it appears that this storm came seemingly out of nowhere. storm appeared quite suddenly. And isn't this the way that the storms in our life often seem to arrive? They just come out of nowhere. You know, we never anticipate the loss of that job. We, we never anticipate that when we begin to try to, to start a family that we're going to struggle with infertility issues. We never anticipate the doctor's diagnosis. We never anticipate that our son or our daughter is going to struggle with addiction. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now that you just couldn't possibly have anticipated six years ago or six months ago or, or perhaps even six weeks ago. And yet, here you are, in the middle of a storm. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now, you need to know that this storm is either going to make you a stronger follower of Jesus, it's either going to make you a better person, it's going to make you a far worse one. John Owen was a famous 17th century Puritan theologian, and he used a a sailing illustration that I, I find to be very helpful As a man of the the 1600s, he was quite familiar with sailing. And and this is what he said. He said that when a storm comes, excuse me, and and the wind really picks up, you have to grab hold of the wheel. Got to grab hold of the wheel. And if you're able to keep the wheel steady in the midst of a storm, if you're able to keep the rudder pointed where it's supposed to be pointed, Owen says that the storm will actually help you get to your location quicker then had the storm never occurred. That you can use the wind and you can use the waves to actually propel you more quickly in the direction you are heading. But Owen says that if you take your hand off the wheel, you head below deck to seek shelter, you'll never arrive at your destination. You take your hand off the wheel, Owen says, you're just going to get tossed to and fro by the waves and, and eventually you might even be dashed against the rocks. And so I'll say it again because it bears repeating. When a storm comes into your life, this storm is either going to make you a better follower of Jesus, it's either going to make you a stronger person, or it's going to make you a far worse one. The key, again, is to hold the wheel. So how do we hold the wheel in the midst of our storms? In other words, how can we stay connected to Jesus Allowing the storms in our life to make us better followers of Jesus and not worse ones. Well, the passage today is very clear. The way that we hold on to the wheel when a a storm is upon us, it's by exercising faith. 
It's the clear teaching of today's passage. Let's read verse 24 and 25 again. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. So why why were the disciples rebuked? It's because they had no faith. That's the clear teaching of this passage. So I want to spend the rest of our time together just highlighting what it looks like to exercise faith in the midst of our storms. Because it's easy to just throw out there as a platitude, right? Got to have faith. Got to have faith. Got to have faith. But what does that actually look like in practice? That's what I want to talk about today. So to begin, let me me just briefly take a moment here and, and... and state what faith is not. We want to talk about what faith is, but before, we, we got to do a little bit of work. Let me, let me suggest to you two things that faith is not. Number one, exercising faith is not living in denial. It's not living in denial. It's not pretending that everything is okay when it's clearly not. In verse 23 in our passage, in fact, Luke says that the, pa- that the disciples were in great danger. It's not sugarcoating the issue, saying the disciples were, in fact, in great danger. And had the disciples simply twiddled their thumbs, simply pretended that the wind wasn't that bad, that the waves weren't really that bad, they would have died. Exercising faith is not living in denial. There are times where you need to acknowledge that your marriage is not okay that you guys are not doing well. And if you don't seek some help, you don't put together some type of strategy, you don't bring some other people into the fold and seek out some resources, your marriage is not going to survive. You know, there are times where you need to acknowledge that your debt is more than you can bear, more than you can handle. And if you don't You don't put together a strategy. You don't learn how to curb your spending. You don't get some advice from some people who know what they're doing. You're going to dig yourself into a hole that you can't dig yourself out of. There are times when we have to acknowledge that our addictions are threatening to pull us under. You have to admit that you have a problem. You have to seek some help. Exercising faith, guys, it's not living in denial. And secondly, exercising faith doesn't look like dictating to God the manner and the timeline in which he's going to remove the storm from your life. Because here's here's a pattern that often occurs when a storm arrives in our life. Here's something that, that often happens. Because we as humans crave control, I don't, I don't know if you've, you've picked up on that before, but because we crave control, we'll often pick an arbitrary date in our head, in our mind, and say, by this date, this is when God's going to free me from the storm. By this date, God is going to bring about my deliverance. By Easter of 2019, I'm going to have my healing. By Easter of 2019, my my son is going to be saved. He's going to come back to, to the Lord. By Easter of 2019, God is going to open up this door that I've been praying for desperately for months. And so we pray and we pray and we pray and we claim 
this promise of God and we say, God, I believe it. By Easter of 2019, you're going to open up the door. We thank God in advance. We thank him for moving on our behalf. And then Easter of 2019 arrives and, and more often than not, our, our, our deliverance has not yet come. We're still in the midst of a storm. We didn't find the healing that we were asking for. Our son still isn't walking with the Lord. The door that we were hoping to be opened hasn't been opened. And so in our discouragement and our despair, we come to the Lord and we say, God, what are you doing? I've been praying, I've been believing, I've been asking for you to move, and here I am, it's Easter 2019, and you haven't moved. And I, I think in these moments, the Lord... In his great mercy, and his great tenderness, he just longs to pull us aside and say to us, look, I, I never promised you that, that you were going to be freed from the storm by Easter of 2019. You've been claiming it. You've been thanking me for it. I never promised you that. That was an arbitrary date that you made up in your own mind. Exercising faith doesn't look like dictating the terms of our deliverance to God. And as we see in today's very passage, our God will not be hurried. You picked up on that yet? Yeah? yeah you had to, to walk that out with the Lord yet, that he will not be hurried? You know, I'm sure the disciples would have liked Jesus to have calmed the storm as soon as the waves got a little choppy, right? I'm sure as soon as they began to to see the wind howl around them and see the, the waves begin to pick up, they were thinking, okay, Jesus, now would be a great time for you to calm this storm. It didn't happen. Our God will not be hurried. So now that we've talked just a moment about what faith is not, what, what does it look like then to exercise faith? Well, if, if we're going to have faith in the midst of our storms, we need to acknowledge or affirm three things. And for these points, I am indebted to, to Pastor Rich Nathan. So let's look at these in turn. Number one, in order to have faith in our storms, we have to affirm that God is with us whether we feel him or not. God is with you whether you feel him or not, whether you've got you know, tingly feelings all throughout your body or not, the joy of the Lord or not. God is with you. In the Old Testament, we read about a man named Joseph in the book of Genesis. Some of you are familiar with his story. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Not a good day. And he ends up in Egypt in the house of a man named Potiphar, where he's wrongfully accused of sexual assault that leads him to a, a long-term imprisonment in an Egyptian prison. And in Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 through, 20 through 21, while Joseph was in prison, this is what we read. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Now, if, if you were to ask Joseph at that moment, how, how close do you feel to the Lord right now? Does it just feel like the favor of the Lord is shining down on you right now, Joe? Do you feel blessed and highly favored right now, Joe? My guess, my guess is that, that he would say, look, I, I just want to get out of prison. 
Look, I, I just want my life back. I feel like I'm rotting away in this jail cell. I just want to get out. I don't feel any of those things. I just want out. And yet, the scripture is clear. The Lord was with him. Those of you who are walking through just a a really difficult season right now, do you know this? Do you know this one, that the Lord is with you? Do you know that the Lord sees every tear that you've cried? Do you know that? Do you know that he has seen every single injustice that's been committed against you? Do you know that he knows exactly how you feel, even if you can't fully articulate it to other people and you try to explain to them what you're feeling and it just it comes, just comes short? That he knows exactly what you're feeling. The Lord is with you in this time, whether you feel particularly close to him or not. And because God is with us, because he is with you right now in the midst of the storm, you need to ask him for help. You need to ask him for help. You need to cry out to the Lord. You know, one of the most encouraging aspects of this passage for me personally, as I read it, is that Jesus was willing to answer a really bad prayer. He's willing to answer a really bad prayer. For what was the prayer the disciples prayed in verse 24? Let's look at it again. Master, Master, we're going to drown. That was the extent of their prayer. Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now, how would you rate that prayer if you had to rate it? I don't generally suggest rating other people's prayers, but for the sake of of this exercise, why, why don't we try to rate this prayer together? Master, Master, we're going to drown. You know, it starts out pretty good. Master, master. I mean, there's a little bit of reverence there, right? It's a good start, but it goes downhill pretty quick, doesn't it? We're going to drown. Not a lot of faith. Not a lot of hope. Not a lot of reverence. You know, I would probably give that prayer about a D minus if I was humbly rating their prayer. Not an F. It's not a complete failure of a prayer, but it's pretty rough. I've heard worse prayers in my day. (laughs) I've heard worse ones, but on the average, on the whole, it's about a a D minus prayer. And yet, and what is so encouraging to me as someone who has prayed a lot of D minus prayers, is that the Lord heard them. In the midst of our storms, Jesus answers our D-minus prayers. He shows up and he's with us in the midst of our D-minus prayers. He meets us in our prayers that are filled with self-pity. Meets us in our prayers that are filled with doubt. Meets us in our prayers that are filled with impure motives. But we have to be willing to come to Jesus. Knowing that he's with us knowing that he's always right there alongside us, whether we feel close to him or not. You know, you're always going to find that when you're in the midst of a storm, the enemy's number one lie is going to to be the same thing. That the Lord has abandoned you, that the Lord doesn't see you, that the Lord doesn't care about you. And so in our storms, we have to push back against the lies of the enemy. And we have to say, no, this is what the Bible says is true This is what I I know to be true, that the Lord is with me, whether I, I feel his presence or not.
I love this quote by Hudson Taylor. He's one of my, my all-time heroes. This is what he said. We have it for you on the screen. Satan may build a hedge about us and fence us in and hinder our movements, but he cannot roof us in and prevent our looking up. Amen. You know, Satan can hedge you and fence you in. He can hinder your movements. He can make you immobile. But he cannot prevent you from looking up and seeing the Lord, from turning your your gaze and your attention to the King of Kings and finding in him fresh hope and fresh encouragement and fresh truth and fresh life. Friend, if you're in the midst of a storm right now, the Lord is calling on you right now to look up. You might be fenced in, but Satan cannot put a roof over your head. He cannot prevent you from looking up and seeing the God who has saved you. Secondly, in order to have faith in our storms, we have to affirm that God is worth trusting whether we understand him or not. This is is a hard one here. This is like Spirituality 501 here, okay? This This is a hard one. Because the question that we always want answered in the midst of our storm is why, isn't it? Why? Why is my health failing like it is? Why am I still single? Why is there so much drama in my family? Why do I struggle with depression? It's a question we always want answered. Why? Why? But the answer almost never comes, does it? There have been a few instances in my life where I feel like I've had some some understanding, perhaps years later, why something occurred, but, but almost always we were never told why. And, and here's, here's why that is, and I, I want you to really lean in on this point. I'm going to read it verbatim because I, I want to make sure that I articulate this correctly. The only way we become people who are able to love God simply because he's God and not because of what he does for us is being brought to a place where following God gives us nothing. That's the reason why you can't be told why. Because you have to be brought to a place where following God brings you nothing. Here's how Pastor Tim Keller puts it. He says this, I've had people say to me, I could handle this suffering if God would just show me exactly why. If he could just come and say, oh, you're suffering now and this is terrible, but five years from now, this will happen. And ten years from now, that will happen. Then I'd be able to handle it. In other words, you'd be serving God for the things you were going to get. The only way to be sure you're serving God for he himself alone rather than for what you're going to get out of it is you have to be in a condition where serving God gives you nothing where you're getting nothing out of serving God. In fact, you're getting the opposite. In fact, bad things are happening to you because you're serving God. You're getting nothing out of it at all. That's the reason you can't know the reason for your suffering. There there can't be an answer to the why question, or you will never become the kind of person suffering can make you. If you really want to learn how to love God for himself alone, then you have to be willing to let God put you through the ringer. Which, you know, sounds great when life is good. Yeah, I want to be put through the ringer, Lord. And then you're in the midst of a storm. Then the waves are raging. 
And you begin to think, God, what are you, what are you doing in all of this? Where are you at in all of this? A year or two ago, I was, I was walking through a, a pretty, pretty difficult stretch in my life, nothing cataclysmic, but it was a hard season. And I, I remember I was reading this sermon, and uh, I remember getting to this line at the end. There can't be an answer to the why question, or you will never become the kind of person suffering can make you. <sighs> it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because do you see what, what Keller is saying here? He, he's saying that we're desperate for, for the answer. We're desperate for the why. Because we just want to get past it. Just want to get beyond this season, right? We just want to get to the good part. Where God redeems this situation. It brings about deliverance. When he makes a way. But it's in our uncertainty. It's in our confusion when we don't know how God is going to deliver us, when we don't know how we're going to get ourselves out of this mess, that God transforms us into people who desire to seek his face and not just his hand, not just his blessing. You, you want to be someone who, who follows God for who he is and not just simply because of what he can do for you. You have to be put through the ringer. And you have to walk through a season of suffering in which you're getting nothing out of God, and yet you're still willing to follow him. Lastly, in order to have faith in our, our storms, we have to affirm that God is worth serving whether we receive anything from him or not. These affirmations have been getting increasingly difficult as we've gone along, and this one is probably the hardest of the three. We have to affirm that God is worth serving whether we receive anything from him or not. In Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul sailed for Rome in order to be tried for, for his Christian faith by Caesar. And after docking on the island of Crete, Paul attempted to warn the leaders of his ship that if they, they continued to sail west, they were, they, they were going to hit treacherous waters and it was going to be disastrous. They, they had been delayed in their trip due to inclement weather, and so they were setting out far later in the year than they, they typically would have. And at this time of year, in this part of the world, the, the water just got really, really choppy. And so Paul said, look, if we set out, if we continue to head west towards Rome, we're, we're going to be shipwrecked. But the, the leaders of his ship, they, they paid his advice no mind, and so they set out anyway. And sure enough, our, our boy Paul was right. So not long after setting out for sea, they hit choppy waves, they hit rough wind, and their ship was almost capsized, and eventually, in a desperate attempt to save themselves, they had to throw all their supplies overboard. So for two weeks, Paul and the entire, the entire crew and all of the other passengers went without food. Two weeks lost at sea. It's being carried by the current. The Bible says they gave up all hope of being rescued. And then finally, miraculously, they're able to run aground on a, a small island, and Paul 
was able to jump out of the ship and paddle to shore, barely escaping with his life. You know, it's interesting to me that the disciples in today's passage were saved from their storm. They were in the boat. The wind was raging. The water was rising. And Jesus stood up and he calmed and he rebuked the sea. And yet Paul was in a similar situation. The wind was howling. The sea was rising. And yet Paul was forced to go through a horrific, traumatic shipwreck barely surviving with his life. Listen, we are not always promised that Jesus is going to calm the storm around us. We're not always promised that he's going to calm the waves. And so part of living by faith, guys, during our storms is coming before Jesus and saying, Jesus, look, even if you never answer this prayer, even if you never bring me healing, even if my sister never forgives me, Even if my mom is never healed of cancer, you are still worth following. You are still worth serving. You are still worth worshiping. You are worth it, Jesus. And you're worth serving, Jesus, because you faced the ultimate storm for me. In the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus knew that a storm was fast approaching could see it on the horizon. He understood what was happening. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus literally sweat blood. It's an ailment called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. And hematidrosis is caused by extreme distress or fear when someone is on the verge of death or torture. It's an actual medical diagnosis. Jesus was, was so aware of the storm that was fast approaching He was sweating blood. He was breaking down because he understood that that not only was physical torture upon him, but that he was going to have to drink the the cup of, of the wrath of God. And as Jesus saw this approaching storm, he didn't steal the waves. He didn't calm the storm. Jesus steered himself headlong into the storm, suffering a humiliating, suffering an excruciating death on the cross that you and I might be forgiven. Jesus is worth serving. He's worth following. He's worth worshiping, whether you're saved from this particular storm or not. Because he faced the ultimate storm for us. Why don't we stand together? going to invite the, the band back up. Well, he, here's, here's what I'd like to do. I, I want to create just a, a couple minutes here on the back end of the service for some of us to respond. Because if there was ever a message that would be helpful for us to, to respond to, it would be a message like this. Because without knowing all of your stories, I know that some of you here, that this message is, is extremely relevant. That for some of you here, you, you are in the midst of a storm. Perhaps the worst storm of your life. And so I want to give 
some of you who are in that place a chance to respond. And so uh, I'd like to invite our, our prayer team. If you have been trained to pray, or if you're a leader in the church, if you've been trained to pray at our prayer ministry training, why don't you head to either side of the stage now? My, my hope, my goal is, is that we would have plenty of people to pray. So if you're on the fence, should I pray or not today? I'm going to answer that question for you. Yes, we would love for you to pray. Because we want to give lots of opportunities for people to receive prayer. And, and as I say every time I preach, if, if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. We will never turn you away. But I especially want to invite those of you who right now would say, I am in the midst of a storm. Perhaps it's your marriage, perhaps it's your health, perhaps it's your mental health, perhaps you're just in a season of, of confusion, you, you don't know the, the right step forward, do I need to go back to school, do I, should I take this job? It's just relational drama in your life, with a friend, with a relative, with a parent, with a child reconciliation, forgiveness needs to happen. Wherever you're at, if you're in the midst of a storm right now, we want to pray for you. And I understand that receiving prayer at, at church can be a little intimidating. And so let me, let me just briefly explain what's going to happen. You're, you're going to come forward and, and, and a member of our team is going to just simply say, hey, do you mind if I put a hand on, on your shoulder? And then they're, they're just going to take some time to wait. They're just going to be silent. And then as they begin to feel a leading from the Lord, they're just going to pray a brief prayer over you. No counseling session, no long-winded pep talks. Just a brief prayer over you. And they're going to pray that you would have courage in the midst of this time. They're going to pray that you would have hope in the midst of this time, that you would continue to look up, even if you're hemmed in, even if you're fenced in. They're going to pray that God would give you the resolve and the courage not to sin in this time. Because we all know that it is in our storms when we are most tempted to just bail on the Lord. Just most tempted to take our hand off the wheel. And they're going to pray for God's blessing on your life. They're going to pray that you would be delivered. That you would be freed from this storm. That God would break in and give you a testimony of his miraculous intervention going to pray that you're freed. And so, you really have nothing to lose. And so in just a second, I'm going to head off the stage here. We're going to sing one last worship song. And if you're in a place right now where you would say, I, I feel like the disciples in that boat. I need Jesus to move. We want to pray for you. We want to pray God's blessing would be on your life. And for the rest of us, let's, let's close by singing this last song together. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 4, because of Jesus and because we're in this new covenant, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.